Welcome to another session of What If. We're going to talk today from pain to purpose. Isn't it funny how adversity can bring us to our spiritual senses? It drives us to know what is truly important in this journey called life. With God's help, with the power of the Holy Spirit as our guide, we're able to discern what battles to fight, what relationships to keep, what jobs to take, even where we live, play, and worship. If adversity in the life of a dedicated Christian can teach us the true value of life, how do those who walk a complacent Christian journey, fueled by their bottled up emotions as their strength, think they can survive in the days that are fast approaching? What if you're challenged to discover that the soil you have planted your faith in is not soil of a solid biblical foundation, that instead you've planted a garden of self? There is no reproduction of life. There's no fruit produced to carry on what you've planted. It is a garden fed and nourished by your flesh and sustained by your emotions. And what if you really knew the faith that you have only feeds your soul, but in reality, it starves the spirit of God within you? That the spiritual nourishment you have been living off is only a snack for your soul. What is a snack for your soul? It is a message that soothes and satisfies your emotions, but it starves your spirit. It's a feel-good message that leaves you believing you just had a good God message, but it renders you powerless for the battles that lie in front of you. They are the kind of messages that make you feel good for the moment without ever realizing that you're becoming more and more religiously bloated while at the same time becoming spiritually anemic. What are the symptoms of a bloated Christian life? Well, you know God's word. You diligently read your Bible. You have memorized scriptures. And you can speak Christianese on cue. Yet, your life is powerless, prayerless, and purposeless. You will find that you are always hungry. And you're always running from message to message looking for a God word. But here's the alarming part. Even though you are faithful to what you know, you are now becoming more and more dissatisfied with business as usual. You may not even discern that this can be a signal from God for you to look up to him and not out to those who surround you. That the nourishment of your spirit is much more important than the fast food teasing of your soul. Now, don't get me wrong. God can, and God does send us encouraging messages that will lift our spirits and encourage us. But he is also a God who brings a holy conviction to the parts of our life that remain hidden in the deep recesses of our hearts. Here's what we must reckon with. We don't need more motivational speakers for Jesus. We need anointed fired up messengers who dare to set our comfortable and complacent souls on fire. We must be willing to be challenged in the natural to arrive in the supernatural. But what do you do when the menu you have chosen to eat from only serves sweetened, processed messages loaded with fillers and artificial flavors? Now for a while, it may serve its purpose, but soon you're going to have to realize that Jesus isn't a snack. He's a full course meal.
Snacking alone only makes for weakened, worn out, defeated, depressed, and angry Christians. Here's the meat of the menu, so to speak. God's plate doesn't always look good, nor does it always leave you feeling good. Sometimes the meal is downright painful. When we get used to good and God shows up, it can be beautiful and yet so very painful at the same time. In fact, let me help you here. The pain that you're feeling right now, the discouragement of your soul that seems to continually grow, the suffering that seems insurmountable at the present moment could all be orchestrated by God to point you to and to position you in your kingdom purpose. Yes, indeed, my dear brothers and sisters, your pain produces your purpose. So let's break this massive bondage of our Christian faith we have become comfortable in. Some have erroneously believed that good feelings are an indication of the presence of God and pain is the presence of the enemy. So what do we do? We give the enemy far too much credit for what is really a God movement in our life, all the while rebuking the sovereign God of purpose. So let me briefly share with you my story to illustrate this pain to purpose principle. As a young Christian brought up in the church, church was good to me if the choir sang good and maybe a few people were raising their hands and praising God loudly, if the preacher was brief, if I got a chance to see my friends, and if good food was available after service, surely this was God's intention. I never equated a good service to God's word, except for the length of time to present it. The shorter the message, the sweeter the service. But as I began to grow in the hearing of God's words regularly, my hunger shifted from snacking to looking for something substantial to sustain my soul for more than just a moment. I was becoming dissatisfied in my soul. I wanted more. I was left hungry even after a good service, not realizing that my, my spirit was starving. My spirit was starving for a real relationship with Jesus. Yes, I wanted more. I just didn't know how to get more. But God had a plan for my, for my life. He knew I wanted more. He knew I wanted to be used of him to impact others for the betterment of the kingdom. But his way of answering the cry of my heart was never what I would have put on my agenda. So what did God do? He began a process in me, a very painful process of stripping the fig leaf of religion off me and showing me the true condition of my neglected spirit, how I had used ritual and routine to satisfy an even deeper need of my soul beyond feeling good. I was spiritually sick and didn't know it. I needed healing and I needed to be free. So how did he do that? He made the taskmasters of my life harder. Suddenly, my life turned from comfortable and manageable to uncomfortable and out of control for reasons I could not discern. My job got hard, my relationships got harder, my money got worse, and even my controllable circumstances began exploding all around me. Really, God, what are you trying to do to me? So he took me to the book of Exodus. Before I read some verses from Exodus, let me set the stage here. Exodus starts with the children of Israel having been in bondage to the Egyptians for 400 years. 400 years of captivity, 
400 years of serving false gods and worshiping false idols. So let's be honest. How many of us serve false gods and worship false idols while we're being blinded in our circumstances? I get it. I hear you. It's a resounding not me. But anything that gets our devotion and anything that takes our time or our love away from God is an idol or a stronghold in our life. How do you discern an idol or a stronghold? What's the first thing on your mind when you wake up? Yep, that's it. Your problems, your circumstances, your job, even people can be on the throne of your heart ruling quietly in the background. They stand at the door the moment you awake. So here's what's happening. The children of Israel had forgotten their God. Life had gotten comfortable. They were feeling good. So good they had become complacent, even in their bondages. But what they didn't realize, their God had not forgotten them. Oh, how many times we continue in our religious routine, all the while believing God has forgotten us. But there were promises made over the children of Israel and prophecies to be fulfilled in order for his plan of redemption to come forth. And just like the children of Israel, God surely has not forgotten you. Some of you have promises unfulfilled in your life and prophecies yet to be manifested concerning you. So why don't you know this? Because you've been living off a good word instead of a God word. Whether you know it or not, no matter where you are in the seen or unseen bondages of your life, his ultimate goal is to free you. So let's dig in Exodus a little bit. Let's start with Exodus 1, verses 7 and 8. Verse 7. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. In order to begin the process of freedom and deliverance in your life, God may allow others to actively enter into your existence and make decisions for or about you. Yet they know absolutely nothing about you. They don't know where you've been, nor do they know where you're going. Remember this from verse 8? There is a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. Think of it this way in your life. Old favor has no opportunity in your present day situations. What has gotten you before, gotten you through, has no room in your life today. There will be people who don't understand you, who don't know your past, who don't care about your future, and certainly have no ounce of concern for the promises of God over your life. So what begins to happen? Their flesh rises up. Envy, jealousy, and even fear begins to pound its ugly chest against you. So let's look at verses 9 through 10. Verse 9, And he said unto his people, Behold, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Verse 10, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Pharaoh saw something in Israel they themselves did not see. And that made him fearful. It is very possible Others around you see something in you you can't see in yourself. 
There are promises over your life, and God needs to position you for his purpose. After all, the pharaohs of your life don't have the last say. God can use them for his greater purpose, and he will get all the glory. So what will sovereign God allow to happen? Let's look at verse 11. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. So come on now, let's get real. God can and he will set taskmasters over your life. Remember the snacks of your soul? They won't be able to sustain you. They cannot strengthen and sustain you for the burdens you're about to carry. Your emotions cannot carry you to victory in a spiritual battle. You need God's spirit and not just a good rally cry from the cheerleaders of your life. It is in the now of your life that you must learn to eat at his table for the battles currently raging and the battles that are sure to come. So let's check out a little bit more of this story in verses 12 to 21. And I will paraphrase, the more the Egyptians afflicted them with cruelty and tyranny, the more they multiplied and, and they grew. Here's what we have to understand. There will be places where we have been happy, where we have been comfortable, but those places may soon become the place of our affliction. God's intention is growth. Man cannot stop the birthing of what God has imparted into you. Some of you are pregnant with the things of God and have no idea. All the while, the enemy is trying his best to abort the execution of God's purpose over your life. So, what if you could really discern the battle that's over your soul? The schemes, the plans, the plots to abort God's purpose over you. Sometimes it's not as simple as a good versus evil battle. It very well can be good versus God. Now, let's not forget the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. That tree even of good, will bring you death. But God, even in the midst of what you may call good, is preparing your deliverance. He wants to break yokes and bondages of our soul, but he needs your permission. So how do you give him permission? You cry out to him. Don't forget, pain leads to purpose. He wants us to renounce the complacency, complacency of our souls and to become uncomfortable in the comfortable. He wants to shift our focus from outward to upward. Don't despair, though. Here is our but God moment. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, a baby is born to the Israelites. Moses is that baby. He is the deliverer who is born right in the middle of their struggle. Sometimes we are so busy looking for a miracle when the answer to our situation is birthed right in front of us. We can't see the answer because of the anguish that lies in front of us. Don't fret though. The Israelites had no clue God had sent a deliverer. He was just another baby to deal with in the crux of this storm. There was no baby shower. There was no baby announcement. There wasn't even a gender reveal. He was just a baby born for such a time as this. The answer to their pain was born in the middle of their problem. And just like Jesus, 
He was a baby with a greater call on his life. But he too had to go through process to achieve his purpose. Just like Moses, at some time, in some point in our lives, we will all be a basket case. But once again, pain produces purpose. In the meantime, let's stop believing as long as we're kind and quiet, the enemy will leave us alone. Truth is, you can be kind, you can be quiet, and you can be a good Christian, but you can also be an excellent captive. So, as I hungered more and more for Jesus, I realized and accepted, not liked, the fiery trials of my life that were truly common to make me. It was no longer about being happy in the Lord. It is now about having joy deep down in my spirit. It truly was this process of pain that allowed me to focus less and less on this world and more on the kingdom to come. My clapping for a good word suddenly turned into praising him for a God word. My concentration of my circumstances turned into convictions by the power of the Holy Spirit. The good word I had become accustomed to never shed light on the dark places of my soul. They were hidden and safely guarded by my emotions. But things changed. The good word replaced with a God word allowed his holy word to become personal and precise to the predicament of my soul. So then the question, what if? What if I gave my all and all to my Savior? I mean, seriously died in my flesh and allow him access to my soul. I already gave him permission to be my Savior. What if I truly let him be the Lord of my soul? Then slowly, as I said yes to his Lordship, my life began to change. The world got dimmer and the kingdom became greater. I was no longer hungry for good. I became hungry for God. My eye cravings changed. My ear cravings changed. But most importantly, my heart cravings changed. I was no longer comfortable with complacent. No longer could business as usual satisfy me. I was changed. Here's the blessing of the process. When your heart changes, so does your mouth. You begin to speak and testify less and less of what the enemy is doing, but more and more about what God is doing and has already done in your life. Men no longer get your praise. God does. Men no longer consume your time. God does. Men no longer get your loyalty. God does. With Jesus Christ as only our Savior but not our Lord, even if we're living our lives as good Christians, our lives eventually become train wrecks for Jesus. Our trials then don't make us, they break us. When you have no king, you have no kingdom. Therefore, Jesus is only a firefighter in our life who saves us from the flames of hell. But we are wired for more than that. We need to continuously challenge our beliefs, feed our spirit, and do away with the snacking of our souls. We must surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and not the religious rulership of men. So let's end this podcast and begin our self-assessment with this. It's not your decision for Jesus Christ that makes you saved. It's your total submission to his Lordship 
that sanctifies you and prepares you for kingdom service. Jesus as your Savior makes you a Christian. Jesus as your Lord makes you a disciple. So when we stop using Jesus to supplement our lives and make him the reason for our living, we have entered the domain of spiritual maturation, full of power, full of praise, and consistent with the prayer life. Jesus should never be just a preference in our lives, but a requirement to obtain a lifestyle of holy living. So what if you made that decision today to make him more than just your savior, but to fully submit to him as your Lord? It may cost you something, but he already paid the price.